Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. God bless you. Uh, I can feel the expectancy in the room. Can't you? As we sing those, uh, I'm so glad they they, uh, listened to Pastor and they sung that song again. Amen. Our God is a healer. And he is still healing today, setting captives free, setting addicts free, delivering. And uh, if you're new to us in the past, this is the seventh week of really just a, I'm just going to say a significant move of the Lord is the only way I know to describe it, uh, that God's uh, healing and delivering and amen, just give him praise. We're, we're just getting all kind of... Uh, Reports, testimonies of uh, of what God's doing. I'm going to let you be seated, and I want to tell you this uh, this morning that it is not limited um, just to uh, us in here. How many knows that we have children's church going on now? So I babysit you where the real ministry can go on across the hall, right? And uh, we are so blessed to have Pastor uh, David uh, and Teresa Hewitt as our children's pastor and a man that has devoted his whole life to children's ministry. And I want to tell you, that is a rare, rare jewel. Uh, Most people just kind of stop through children's ministry on their way to do other things. But this is a man who heard God and said, I'm going to do this the rest of my life. And I'm telling you, at Grace Point, we are honored. Would you bless Dave and Teresa one more time? And, and uh, we're honored to have them. And, and the reason, amen. And the reason I wanted to say that, <clears throat> I was talking to Pastor David in the office this morning. And uh, he shared with me, and I read an email. And, of course, sometimes, you know, what's going on in here, uh, God's doing simultaneously across the hall with the kids. And, uh, and so they've been experiencing healing. Uh, uh, we, we had one of the, the workers, uh, uh, healed just a few weeks ago, instantly. Uh, uh, he was telling me this morning, uh, over there, we had two children that were healed. And what was so exciting this morning, he shared with me and I read the email, uh, not that I had to have proof, <clears throat> but he had had a person that had contacted him, called him for prayer and they were in the hospital in Moultrie. And they were uh, been told, the family had been told that they needed to, you know, uh, take them off life support as the, as some folks say, pull the plug or whatever, uh, like Sean had shared with us. And uh, a few weeks ago, or was he here last week or last week? Boy, this stuff's getting, I can't keep up with it. And, uh, you know, Sean was here last Sunday. How many members him? And you, the nurse and this, uh, you know, was in California and different places. And he's been seeing God just almost raising them from the dead, you know, the near death, as he said. Well, this was a similar thing. And so this lady had called Pastor David, asked him for, you know, pray for her brother, uh, who that they had been told that they needed to, to eliminate the life support. He wasn't breathing on his own or anything. And David, Pastor David said, just put the phone uh, near his ear, lay the phone by his ear. I'm going to pray for him right now. He prayed for him. Uh, He just said he did uh, what God, what we've been talking about, what Sean shared with us. He released uh, healing to him in the name of Jesus. Uh, The man uh, opened his eyes. Uh, He began to show signs of life. I read where his sister wrote 
that he's showing signs of life. I'm not about to kill my brother is what she wrote. And he, and he got better every day, went home in just a few days. Pastor David been to his house and sprayed for bugs and saw the man and talked to him. Hallelujah. Come on, give God praise for that. Uh, I'm telling you, God's doing it. And just uh, raised him from the near death. And, 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 I, and I tell you those things, number one, to give God glory for he's uh, deserving. But number two, to provoke you to, to pray for people, to don't uh, just believe God. As Pastor David said, put the phone by his ear. Let me pray for him right now. You know, some people, they'll say, pray for me, and they don't really expect you to. It's just kind of the cliche thing to say. But, I mean, buddy, when you, we're, we're serving God, you, you are ambassadors for Christ. We, we represent, that means we represent Christ to this uh, orphan planet, this world, that needs to know that they have a father, they need to know that God loves them, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, uh, and, and it's just an, an, an awesome thing. Uh, uh, Phil and Linda uh, Corbett, would, would you, I, can I just ask you to stand? She's so shy. She's not going to come up here. You know, they say the number one fear in the earth, people would rather die than talk publicly. So I told her I wouldn't make her do that. I wouldn't never make anybody do anything. But uh, you guys were out last Sunday. The, the previous Sunday, you remember, she came up. And she wrote on uh, the, the notepad right there in her Bible. She's got it right there. She's pointing to it. And you wrote that I'm healed. And you've had uh, asthma and COPD. Is, uh, acute. Had asthma. Amen. Now, you can come up here and talk if you want to. Uh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Crawford's going to give you a mic. Uh, and just whatever you, you say what you want to. And Phil can preach if he wants to. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, she sent me the text. Just tell them what happened. Okay. You um, seem like you want to talk, so call. Because I can't. I'd rather hear it from you anyway. I can't hold it in. Yeah, great. <laughs> Look at you hear what she said? She yeah. can't hold it in. Yeah. Um, I'm not a person to stand on. <laughs> but two weeks ago, well, let me go back. Um, for the whole month of January, I was sick. Um, I had an upper respiratory infection, and I had asthma. I've had, I had asthma for a long time. And I was sitting where I used to sit, and they were singing during praise and worship, and I felt something touch my lungs. Then I closed my eyes, and I could see the image of lungs, the shape of my lungs. And so I wrote in my book, my lungs are healed. So I haven't had to do my inhaler for the last two weeks. And Phil and I went away last weekend and I was doing the packing stuff and then automatically I grabbed my inhaler and I said, whoa, wait a minute, I don't need this. And I put it back down. <laughs> I said, I'm healed. And there's a song that I play every morning and they sang it last week actually. Um, as part of my devotional, I speak Jesus. And his name is power. His name is healing. And his name is life. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. Amen. Amen. Awesome. And when she, uh, thank you, Linda, for doing that. Uh, when she had messaged me this week, she actually wrote here, she said that uh, last week I was able to do things that I've not been able to do even before I got sick of the asthma uh, that I used to have, she wrote here. 
Amen. And, uh, and the reason we give testimonies is to honor and glorify God, to build your faith and belief and trust in him. God is, as Pastor John has said, no respect of person. What he's done for one, he'll do for others because we're all his kids. He doesn't have any grandkids, stepkids, anything like that. You're all his children and you're heirs of his promises. And, um, and, and I want your faith to, to just believe in him. If I can, by the Holy Spirit's help, get you to believe in God and, and, and believe what he accomplished on the cross and that by his stripes you were healed. It's not something that we look forward to our healing to the day we're healed, but we look back to the day that we were healed in Jesus' name. And he's paid the price, and you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. None of us do. And we receive it by faith in him and the price that he paid. And sometimes it's hard for people to to kind of get a hold of that because we're so sense uh, motivated. We, we know we, if we get prayer, we want to feel different and, and, but you're, you're not, you're not saved by feeling, neither are you healed by feeling. The healings will catch up with you, uh, after a while. Sometimes, sometimes it's instant and there's miracles, but Jesus didn't say you'll lay hands on the sick and everybody will get an instantaneous miracle, but he did tell believers to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And you got to believe in that. You got to believe in a God that will want you to recover. The Bible says that, it, you know, that God wrote in Third John that is is His desire that we be in health and prosper, even as our soul prospers. And that's God's plan for you. That's God's desire for you. Uh, and, and I just want you to, to to believe in that. If if you're if you're having trouble with, you know, so when we say like she gave this testimony, she just told you, and 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 you get in these habits, you know, hey, feel grab my, you know, you don't need it. You're healed. Uh, she's able to do things that she couldn't even do before she had asthma. Uh, I mean, that's just God. That's just God's, uh, you know, healing grace, uh, and we're we're receiving it. I, I you know, and and uh, but you know, we say this. We've said it a lot these past six, seven weeks. Now, the testimony of Jesus, the Book of Revelation says in one verse that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, what you're doing is the testimony of Jesus. We're literally saying to God. And to the spirit and to the atmosphere, do it again, Lord. We, we believe you can do it again. Uh, and, and so if, you, if you're here right now or you're listening to me on Facebook or however you're getting this later on through the podcast, uh, and let me just say to the Facebook guys, uh, a lot of you have messaged me. We, we're working on it. Howard Goldstein is just what his name says. He is a gold. He is a precious man. And I mean that, Howard, sincerely. And I, I just thank God for him and and for all he does, you know, to get this message out and through Facebook and all that, I couldn't even turn it on. I wouldn't even know where to begin. But but we know that the sound is not fantastic, and he's working on that. We're working on that. Most of the time, that stuff costs M-O-N-E-Y to, to make it better. And, and But we're working on that, and, and so I know that the, the sound is not fantastic. Some people said, Pastor, I can't hardly understand everything and stuff like that. Uh, boy, the, the podcast, though, later on, if you can't even see it on video, uh, the podcast is crystal clear. You won't have any problem with that. So you can go to our website, uh, and and you can just you know hear, hear the podcast. Most of the time on Sunday afternoon, the podcast goes up, and it'll be crystal clear, and you won't miss anything. I promise you. But if you've had any trouble uh, like this, asthma, breathing, COPD, trouble breathing for whatever the reason, won't you stand to your feet right now? I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you all over, Father. Father, we have heard testimony of the healing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want a believer near them 
just very gently, don't, don't get nothing wild, just very gently lay your hands on them. The person, just get close to the person that's standing so that everybody has somebody touching them. Just look around and find, make sure that everybody, we need somebody touching uh, Jimmy uh, over here. We need somebody touching uh, right over here. Amen. Everybody got somebody, got the hand on them, and we're doing what the Bible says. We lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we have just heard testimony of the healing grace of God. We receive it freely by grace, by faith in that grace, by faith in the stripes on your back. By your stripes, these people were healed. So in the mighty name of Jesus, we rebuke every plan of the enemy. We rebuke the disease. We rebuke the asthma. We rebuke the COPD. We rebuke the breathing difficulty, whatever is root cause. We counted an enemy of the cross and the price paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say what the word says, by his stripes you were healed in Jesus' name. Somebody give God praise. Amen. Take a deep breath and say, thank you, Lord. I receive it. Amen. Is, uh, I, I might get the name wrong. The, the guy that I prayed for a couple of weeks ago, Chris, is that, would you, yeah, would you mind coming up here and just wouldn't see you and put a face with it so they know I ain't making up stuff? This man was in the service uh, two weeks ago. Is it two? This will be the third Sunday. All right. And, and how many of you remember the service? With, 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 is it Chris? Chris? And, uh, and, and, uh, and so, he, so we was ministering. And, and what I did, and it wasn't in my notes, and I didn't plan. He don't have to say nothing if he don't want to. I just wanted them to see you. <laughs> and, uh, amen. He's a big guy too, boy. And, uh, but so we was in the service and, and, and we're just trying to honor God in this and we're trying to build your faith. And, 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 uh, and so we were giving testimony and how God was ministering to people that were addicted. And what I did is I just told a story that came to my thoughts while I stood before you. I didn't have it in notes. I didn't leave my house preparing to tell that. And so some of you have heard me tell that story quite a few times over the years because I, I don't have, I just tell the stories. Uh, and when they prompt me and, and I, and I told the story, uh, quickly about when I was uh, an evangelist and I was preaching a revival in Coffee County and, uh, in, um, uh, Nichols, I, I, it's a Nichols. And I was at this church and I was a little church and I was just, you know, preaching a revival and they, I noticed that there was a, a young man, uh, like this young man, but there was a young man sitting on the back pew of the church. Nobody was with him. And he sat there while I preached that whole time. And, and I was getting close to being done. And I saw him stand up. And it was one of those churches where he stood up from the pew and, and there's the two double doors and you open the door and there's a little bitty porch and you're outside. I mean, you're outside the church. It's not like here. And, uh, and so this guy just stood up. He put his hand on the knob to leave. And before I even thought, I don't even know, can't explain this stuff. I just said, sir, stop. And I said, come, would you come here? And when I said stop, he just looked and he still had his hand on the knob. And he didn't look happy that I had told him to stop in front of everybody. And I said, would you come down here? Now, he, he stood there for a moment thinking about it, I, I guess. And then he started walking towards me down the little center aisle of this church. There's about 40 or 50 people there. And on the way down, I'm saying, Lord, please show me what's, what, you know, what it is. I knew the Lord had me to tell him to stop for some reason. And, but, you know, all the way down, I, ne- the Lord didn't, I didn't know anything. The, the Lord didn't say anything to me. And uh, I think sometimes we're the TV uh, that heaven watches uh, and it's like, watch this. I don't know. 
he, so watch Dale get nervous. I don't know what it is. So he came down. He stood in front of me. And in my heart, I'm just saying quietly in my heart, I'm saying, Lord, what is it? And, and right initially, I didn't, feel, I didn't know anything. So if I don't, the Lord don't reveal anything, how many knows I can't say anything? And that's cool too. But there's the, and what we're talking about here is we're not talking about nothing psychic or nothing in case you're, you know, we're, what we're talking about is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And one of them is the gift of the word of knowledge. And that's where you just simply know things that you don't know why or how you know them. And it's by the Spirit. And it says the Lord wills. And it's not a button I can turn on and turn off. And I can't manipulate anything. I'm, I, you know, without God, I can do nothing. And, and, and so I just said, Father, what did I, I didn't hear the Lord. And so if I don't do that, and then all the people are staring, you know, because I've called the guy down front, and they didn't know the guy either, apparently. And so I just said, I'm going to pray my best prayer. So I laid my hands on him, and I just began to pray. Don't even remember what I prayed. But the man never smiled. He never looked up. He never reacted. He didn't look happy. And I prayed, and sometimes you can pray and feel like you're not really making headway. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like you're just against the wall or something. So I prayed and prayed. I don't know how long I prayed, just a couple of minutes or so. And I realized we're not getting anywhere. And I asked, you know, and I, and I, and I asked the man, I said, uh, sir, uh, look at me. And when I said that, he looked up, and the, I heard the Lord say in my spirit, he said, tell him that he's the reason that I sent you. To, to, to this church. He's the reason. And, uh, and just by faith, I said that. I said, I believe the Lord just told me to tell you this, sir, that you are the reason that, that I'm here. He sent me to this church for this revival totally for you. When I said those words, that man yelled so loud, hollered out or whatever, that it scared me, to be honest with you, because I wasn't expecting it. He kind of startled me, and it scared me. And he threw both hands up and began to wail and moan and weep before the Lord. And, uh, and he received Christ Jesus and that, you know, as his Savior, put his faith in him. And, I, and then he said, he said, Preacher, can I say something? And, and I said, I, oh, yes, but I'll hold the mic. And I leaned the mic to his mouth, and this is what he said. He said, I am a drug addict. He said, uh, I had told God. I didn't even sure he was real. And I said, told him that if he was real and if he knew anything about me and knew where I was, that I wanted him to show me something tonight, some kind of sign that he even knew I was existed. And that if I didn't get that response, for, you know, that kind of deal, that I was going to take my life tonight. He said, and I come by and I walked by and I saw this church. I was having a meeting and I just walked in and I sat on the back pew. And he said, I, I heard a voice saying in my heart back there a while ago, you don't belong in here with these people. Get out of here. And he said, that's when I stood up. And when I did, he said, you stopped me from walking out. He said, I was going to leave out of here and give, you know, just take my life and be done with it. And, 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 man, you don't think that had an effect on all of us. That man stayed in that church from that day forward for years. And I saw him years and years. And he became the pastor's right-hand man. And I told that story. And, and when I told that story, here's this man here. I didn't know nothing about this man. I ain't never seen this man in my life. This man was sitting on the back, uh, very back row, wasn't you? On the back uh, uh, chair. And by the spirit, I looked back and saw this man. And I said, sir, come here. Didn't I, did I do it? How many was here when I did that just a few weeks ago? And, and on the way down, and, and, and I knew in my heart that as I told that story, that this man was just like that man. And on the way down, I, the Lord said addict and uh, addicted. And, and so just not to embarrass the man.
But when he got down here and we embraced one another, you remember, and I said in his ear and so that it wouldn't embarrass him in front of people. If you don't ever want me to say nothing, you ain't got to worry about this pastor not saying nothing. And I said, I said, you, you got the same problem as the man that I just told about. And you said, what? Yes, sir. And he and I said, how long you been at it? Since I was 16. And how old are you now? 40. And God told me to tell him that his days of addiction was over and the addiction was broken and, and, in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God praise for that. Uh, and, 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 I, and I know, <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And, um, and, and, the, and the only reason I'm doing this this morning is Chris's fault. It's not my fault. And, and I looked for him last Sunday kind of with my, I'm terrible sometimes with figuring out where y'all sit and what, you know, what you look like and all. Well, I'd never seen the man. It was his first Sunday and I, we know we asked him and I said, you ever been here before? He said, my first time. I didn't know nothing about him. I did not realize he had just became part of, you know, it was at the house of grace with Pastor Keith. Pastor Keith, raise your hand. God, thank God for Pastor Keith and Jennifer and the house of grace and the ministry to these men. And that's a ministry that helps people get free. And I can't, I ain't, that's why I'm stuttering now. I just shut up. I'm so thankful for you, Pastor Keith. Devoted his life for, the, for this ministry. And these men come there. They don't have to write no big checks to their family. They just come there and, and, and they get ministered to. And, and I'm so thankful. But I didn't even know he was there. I didn't know that's where he come from. I didn't know where this man come from. And there, you know, so last Sunday I was looking and I didn't see him. You know, you know why I didn't see Because he didn't sit on that back pew, on that back chair. And he moved around on me somewhere. And, uh, and I wasn't sure that was him a while ago because he was sitting by Howard at the sound system. I said, the man's done that at the soundboard. Uh, you know, but he come up here last Sunday, wasn't it? Last Sunday after the service. And he said, I wanted to say hi to you. And I wanted to tell you something that you didn't know. I wanted to tell you that I'm from Coffee County. He said, I'm from the very county where you, and I was born and raised there. And he said that you were talking about that story from that man from Coffee County. He said, I'm from Coffee County. Can you imagine what was going on in his heart while I was standing by there telling a story about a man and he turned out to be that man? Because God ain't just for that guy that happened. That probably happened 20 years ago. God's for the man that's going through it right now. Amen. I'm nervous up here, y'all. Uh, I was asked a question yesterday, what has God revealed to me by a brother at the house? And he's just revealed so much that, that it's, it's impossible to grasp the meaning of all of it. Uh, January 4th, I was picked up, went to jail. I was, uh, I was pretty well down. And I was thinking about robbing somebody. I mean, I was just, really, I was just thankful I got locked up. I had family that was uh, pushing me to go to House of Grace, that loved me, that wanted to see me change. And then the Friday before the church that Pastor Dale was talking about, I was released to House of Grace to Pastor Keith, which has been the biggest blessing in my life. Uh, then come to service and have Brother Dale, Pastor Dale call me up here. And it, it's just eye-opening changing of my heart just to know that I can finally be a free of addiction that that God is working in my life and that, that he deserves all the praise and glory because I know it ain't just Pastor Dale or Pastor Keith but it's God working 
And without him, it's, nothing's impossible. Uh, I want to share this. As a kid, I always thought when they, Jesus said, if you believe in me and you call upon my name, and you, you can say to this mountain, you can move the mountain and it moves. And I always, in my mind as a kid, I picture mountains. But as I've grown as an adult, I see mountains as addiction, sickness, just, just everything. And, and to be able to call on Jesus' name and say, move mountain, and people are healed and people are cured. Addiction is broke. I have a new outlook on what the mountain is. No mountain is too big to climb. No mountain is too big to move. Jesus' name, you can call upon it, and it will be moved. Bless this man. Amen. I want y'all to give him about a hundred hugs after the service is over. I want you to bombard him with love. For, <laughs> amen. Chris, thank you, brother. I, uh, man, I love all this. I love all this. I, I'd rather hear y'all than hear me. Uh, and to see what God's doing. And, and I'm telling you, if you're struggling with any kind of addiction, and listen, and it came to my heart this morning. The, the Bible says this, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now, now, listen, that's what the Word of God says. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Who do, who do you think the Son sets free? Do you think he just sets one free over here, and then he skips everybody, and then he sets one free? No, who he sets free is everybody that puts their faith in him. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, if you're born of the Spirit, if you, you're trusting in Jesus for your righteousness, for your salvation, uh, then, then for your relationship with God, then he has set you free. He, he doesn't decide later. You don't, you, you don't get saved and then not get set free, and then five years later he decides to set you free. That's not how it works, guys. You are set free. What are you free from? You're free from the law of sin and death. You're free from the law. You're free from the rules and the regulations and the performance-based Christianity that's not a gospel at all, as Paul said to the Galatians. You, you are free from every curse. Stop buying books about breaking generational curses because there are none anymore. Jesus, who the Bible said Jesus became a curse for us. He became cursed and he hung on the cross and, and became a curse for us. So, so you don't buy into that. You don't have generational curses. You got generational habits. You got generational habits. If you, if your great granddaddy, you know, drank all the time in front of you and then your, your granddaddy drank in front of you and then your daddy, it's just a habit in the family. You ain't running around like some curse all on you. You just, that's all you're used to. Amen. I mean, I, I've seen people get delivered from a lot of things and they reach in their pocket to grab it and they realize they ain't got it no more. That's why she reached for the inhaler. I don't need that no more. No, you don't need it. Why? Because you've been set free. You've been set free. And, and, and all you have to do is to believe. Believe in him. It's not believing in me. My job is to help you to believe in him through the Holy Spirit's help to me to help you believe and trust and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, then you begin to live that. And, and sickness has no hold on you. Uh, uh, bondages has no hold on you. You walk in the liberty and the freedom that's in Christ Jesus. The, whom the Son sets free is every single one of you. It's, it's, not, it's not something arbitrarily done to, to certain people who've earned it, deserved it, or kind of, you know, broken to some. No, no. It, whom the son sets free. Who's he set free? He set every one of us free. You're free. And, and you have to do. And you say, well, I don't feel free. It don't matter what you feel. 
It don't matter what you feel. God cares about you. You have not a high priest, Jesus, who cannot be touched by your feelings of your infirmities, your weakness. God cares how you feel. He wants you to feel good. He wants you to feel happy. He wants you to feel no pain. But that doesn't dictate whether God's done something or not to you. You you have to rise above that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. You don't see it sometimes. You don't feel it, but you believe it. And when you believe it, you put believing. It's not seeing is believing is believing is seeing the world says well show it to me seeing is believing that's what they go by but seeing is not really believing in the bible jesus said didn't i not say to you when he was talking to mary and martha he said did i not say that if you would just simply believe that you would see the works of god if you would believe even though they said lazarus is dead he said if you don't just listen to that don't accept that just believe in me and i'll show you the work your believing comes first and then the manifestation comes Come second. Well, how long do I got to wait until you quit asking? Because that's not faith. That's not faith. I, I, I just, man, I got, it's 11.43, so I, I don't have time to do much of nothing. But listen to me. Believe in Jesus. The, the, greatest, the greatest thing is for us just to believe in him. Come on, buddy. Craw, uh, Crawford. Now, he ain't just walking up arbitrarily. If I didn't know him, I'd say, y'all sit him down. No, this is Phil. I don't even know what's... Go ahead, Phil. Just share what's on your heart, buddy. Good morning. Man, I was about to explode back there. I could. I said, no, I better not interrupt. But I got to (laughs) interrupt. I go to the county jail on Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock and... Uh, this morning was a special day, and I believe God wants you to hear what happened this morning. I didn't want to take anything away earlier from his healing, but to make a long story short, I sat down with five guys. My son, name is Michael. I had two Michaels at my table. One was Michael Lee, and that's my son. His name. The gentleman that sat beside me, as I read and taught about how good God is, he had got in jail five days ago. He got pulled over, had some meth. It was actually heroin, my understanding. It was analyzed different. And so if it was heroin, he had been going to the big house. But what I wanted to tell you, God is a miracle-working God, as in Chris's life and these men in jail. If we don't go and tell them about Jesus, they might never, never hear about it. But it's not about me. The man that I'm talking to you about, when I started reading John 3, 16, that God so loved the world, that whosoever... Believeth. We're all whosoever's, right? His mom had called just that morning and he she said to him, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The same scripture that I was telling him. That's why I was sitting back there. And it was stirring inside me. I didn't want to interrupt you. That's fine. But I had to tell you, 
God is working in the jail also. I'm the mouthpiece. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's taking care of business through us, the church. He's a good, good father. I told him all about, he's a good, good father. He doesn't do bad things. He's a good father. He takes care of his children. And that's what happened. I had two Michaels and a gentleman that was hooked on heroin. He showed me where he had been shooting. But he's going to change his life. He's got two daughters, two little ones at home. He's going to get a job. He's going to change his life. I feel it with two Michaels and John 3.16, as his mama told him this morning and what Dr. Phil told him. (laughs) Give the Lord a hand of praise. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. And I tell you if, you, if you knew, I know this, and I'm not, I'll let him do that at another time, but that guy right there, he knows what it is. He, he's walked that walk, hasn't you? And he's seen God deliver him from the drugs, from the prison, and set him free. Amen. Ain't that true, Phil? Amen. And I, I didn't know that for a long time. And uh, we went to lunch one day, and, and he told me, and, and I'm thinking, man, we don't even know each other's stories, you know. And that's, uh, but, you know, there's people that wants to hear your story and your testimony of, of what, what God has done um, in, in your life. I, uh, I'm, man, I am just so, <laughs> I'm so excited about uh, this, this uh, whatever it is. Listen, the danger that you have when, when don't try to pastor this. Don't try to manipulate this. This uh, rest in God and in His finished work. And I want to tell you something. This is a result of us beginning to get a hold of God's grace. When, when you get a hold of God's grace, you're, you're no longer laboring. Uh, and and I maybe I'll talk about it more uh, next Sunday. Whatever. I mean, I got no big push on me. To, I, I got to you know uh, do the big preaching. But I just want to say this just been on my heart all week. You know, the, 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 one of the greatest, if not the greatest revelation that you can come into, and that's what it is. The Bible calls it the revelation of righteousness. That, that righteousness, and, and, and we, we've lost what that means. Righteousness means right standing with God. And, and the righteousness that God talks about, when you realize that you are, when you're born again, you are gifted. It also, the Bible calls it the gift of righteousness. You never achieve righteousness. You don't earn it. You don't live well enough that you now can be called righteous. Our righteousness by our own performances is filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. But we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible says, Him who knew no sin uh, became sin. He didn't become sins, plural. He became sin. uh, So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus shattered the mold uh, when, he's, when he was doing his sermon on the mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, his first inaugural sermon, if you will. Jesus told those Jews that were listening to him preach. And, and he was declaring the law to them that they claimed that they were living by, which they were not. 
Uh, nobody had been, ever been able to keep the law. Nobody's ever kept the Ten Commandments. The only person that's ever kept the law is Jesus himself. And Jesus said to them, he said this, and it blowed their minds. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by, in by no way you will enter the kingdom of God. The scribes and the Pharisees were the most religious, righteous, perceived people of the day. They kept the rules and regulations, and their righteousness was because they thought or judged themselves that they were keeping the commands of God. They were obeying the law. They were not, in fact, doing that. And Jesus cleared that up for them. He said, you say, thou shalt not commit adultery. You say it's written. But I say to you, if you've ever looked at a person to lust after them, you've committed adultery. So that made them, you're a lawbreaker. He said, you say, I've not committed a murder. In other words, I haven't actually killed nobody. I'm a pretty good fellow. He said, if you've ever for a moment hated someone, you are guilty of murder. And so they were all lawbreakers, even the scribes and the Pharisees. What did that do to them? It caused them to realize that they can't make this on their own. The righteousness that God demands is the righteousness that his son has. And that's why we become and we are gifted with the righteousness of God. Listen to me. The number one reason for condemnation and guilt and lack of confidence for the believer is that we do not believe and have not gotten a hold of that we are the righteousness of God. You are, if you're born again, you have been gifted in your spirit. The righteousness of God. Whose righteousness? His righteousness. That's why it says in 1 John 4, as he is, talking about Jesus, so are we in this world. Is Jesus righteous? Is he seated at the right hand of the Father? Then so are you. The reason we're seated is because we're not trying to accomplish nothing anymore. The Levitical priesthood, they never sat down in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, in the Old Tabernacle, if you will. They never sat down. Why? Because Hebrew says their offerings were never ceased. They continually offered offerings all the time. And it because those bulls and those sheep and those oxen, it says that, that those offerings, those sacrifices could not remove sin. It couldn't remove sin. So therefore, there's a continual remembrance. Every year, it says in Hebrews 10, of their sins. Here we go to churches, and they remind us of our sin every Sunday in most churches. And they make you sin conscious. It's one of the most damnable heresies that's ever been put upon Christian people. We do not have a pure gospel hardly in any church. We have a hybrid. We have a mixed gospel. We have a gospel that Paul talked to the Galatians about and rebuked them strongly. He says that you, I'm so amazed and, and that somebody has bewitched you Galatians. He said that somebody, you, you begun in the spirit, but now you're trying to finish it in the flesh. You're, you're trying to come back now and get circumcised, and you try to, you know, incorporate the law. That's what we've done. We've got a mixed hybrid. A hybrid is a mix of two things. If you have a hybrid car, it has an electric uh, uh, part and a gas part. It's a hybrid. Uh, uh, how many ever heard of a mule? God never made one. Man did that. When you cross a horse with a donkey, you get a mule. You ever heard that they were stubborn? You know, you're stubborn as a mule, somebody said, because you, you've made something that God didn't make. You've crossed in and mixed two different things together that, that really wasn't supposed to be together, and that's why you have trouble, you know, dealing with it. It's not obeying you. It's not working for you. It's, it's, it's kicking you upside the head. It's being stubborn and resistant to you because you're trying to produce something on your own. The Bible says in Galatians 4 that there's two covenants, and they're represented by two different women. One is Hagar, the Egyptian bondwoman, uh, and the other is Sarah, the one that would birth the promised one, whose name is Isaac. Uh, when God gave the promise, Isaac was, uh, Abraham was 65 years old. 
But 24, 20, you know, 24 years later, he still hadn't seen that promise. And so he got tired of waiting. Sometimes it's the wait that, you know, wears us out. God, when are you going to do it? You, I know you promised it. I see the promise in your word. But when am I going to see it? See, it's the endurance sometimes. But the wait, blessed are those that wait upon the Lord. They'll not be disappointed, the Bible said. And so he said, she said, well, you know, we're tired of waiting. Let's do something to help God out. So he, she said, go into the Egyptian bondwoman. Hagar. Uh, wh- where did Hagar come from? She come out of Egypt. She was uh, gifted to Abraham. And, and it was, she was a, a slave. She was, it was a slave woman. And she was a servant to, 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 to Abraham and to Abraham's wife. And, and Abraham went in to her and had relations with her. And she gave birth to a son. She became pregnant. In other words, she became fruitful. And she gave birth to a son, a son named Ishmael. And so she has this son. And, and so, see, the problem in the church is we, we can still be fruitful. We can produce things, but we're doing it out of the wrong kingdom, out of the wrong mama, so to speak. And, 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 and because, see, Ishmael is something that Abraham produced. He, it was of his own work and his own flesh. And, 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 and so then when Ishmael comes along, uh, Abraham even one time cried out to God, Oh, God. Let, let it be Ishmael that the promise comes through. And God said he, it will not be Ishmael. It will not come from him. It's going to come from your loins through Sarah. He's going to be a child of promise. They said, but we're too old, God. Yeah, I'm almost 100 now, and my wife is well beyond years. And it's, it's, it's biologically impossible for us to have a kid, and nothing is impossible with God. God says, I'm going to do something in you, and you're going to be a father of many nations. And he said, your seed is going to be as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the seashore. And so uh, in, in that late time, the Bible said in Romans that Abraham's body was as good as dead, and so were Sarah's. But God moved upon him, and, and, and Sarah conceived and gave, gave birth to a child named Isaac. Isaac means laughter in Hebrew, because when, God, when Abraham went home and told Sarah, God told me, you're going to have the baby, the Bible said Sarah laughed. She said, you're an old man, and I'm an old woman. How can this be? And she laughed. She, she, was, she just laughed. She couldn't even believe it. And, and, and yet she gave birth uh, to Isaac. And the Bible said the day that Isaac got weaned, it says that, 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 that she saw and looked and saw Ishmael scoffing and mocking her son. The Bible said that we will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. And he said, as it was, so it is even today. People like me, preachers of grace, and people that tell you to say to God and to say to everyone that listens to you, I am the righteous of God in Christ Jesus, you'll be persecuted for that position. They, 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 they think they earn righteousness. They achieve it. They somehow get to the place that they live holy enough and they keep the rules enough that they somehow become righteous or they somehow become holy. The Bible says that holiness is a gift and that you are created in Ephesians 4. You're, you're created in true righteousness and holiness. When did that happen? When you got born again. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus. That's what made you in right standing with God. And amen. Listen, and the Bible says the kingdom, Paul said in Romans 14, that the kingdom of heaven is not in food and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. Listen to the order. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I am absolutely convinced that you will never have any level of peace in your life until you are absolutely convinced that you are now 
by faith the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and that you are in your spirit, your born-again spirit, you are just as righteous for, as Jesus is and he has come with his spirit and joined you to his spirit and you are now one with him. You are one spirit, the Bible says, with the Lord. You are the righteousness of God and you do not fluctuate in and out of righteousness. Just because your behavior don't line up does not make you unrighteous. You can't undo what God has done in your spirit and so when you believe that you'll start living more out of that righteousness and you will sin less the church was terrified that, that if we told you really how good grace is that you would go out and sin like a crazy person but Romans 8 and 1 says now there is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus and then that it should be a period right there but the translators of the King James and the New King James and many other translations they decided to put a comma there and they added to them that walk not according to the to the flesh but according to the spirit there is not one reliable original text that can, contains those verbs or those words that it's not in there the translators get scared about some stuff and they added that in there and any study bible that you have in your lap will tell you what i just told you it does not appear it is not in the original manuscripts so what the scripture actually says there is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in christ period that's the end of it. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemning from God from you. No matter what you do, it's, you're not condemned. It's just like in John 8 with the woman caught in the act of adultery, thrown at the feet. And that, um, that, that law, the, the, the law, the Bible says these two boys that were born, they represent, and these two women, they represent two different, uh, uh, king, two different uh, uh, plans, two different covenants. It says the one covenant, Ishmael, Hagar, she represents Mount Sinai. That's where the law came. But it says the other woman, Sarah, she's the free woman. She represents Mount Zion. She represents the miracle power of God. What she represents, in fact, is grace. That it's not by performance. It ain't something that you whipped up or worked up. It's by grace. It says these are symbolic in Galatians 4, and they represent the two different covenants. And, and that's what they represent. And, and so what did Abraham, uh, Sarah, when she saw Ishmael mocking Isaac, she went to him and said, this woman's got to go. And the Bible says, and it says it in Galatians uh, uh, 4, the fourth chapter, the latter part of the fourth chapter, and it also says, of course, in Genesis when it went down, and it says, what does the scripture say? But cast out the bondwoman and her son. Let me tell you what's, what God's saying to it. You cannot have a mixture of grace and law. You cannot mix these two. You cannot have 90% grace and 10% law. You destroy the whole. You have to, it's time for you to cast out the bondwoman. It's time for you to evict Hagar and her son. You are no longer under the law. You're under grace. The Bible says in Romans 4 that where there is no law, there is no transgression. The, how do you know? See, you, the kingdom of heaven is not food and drink. It's not anything in the natural realm, but it is righteousness. And if you know and are convinced that you finally have been made righteous before God and you stand before God just as righteous as his son, you don't ever have to come crawling in. You don't ever have to come begging for mercy because you don't need mercy. You, you, you are seated with Christ. In fact, you are in Christ. When you know that and you have got that revelation, then you, you have peace. Not fake peace. You have, you have righteousness that comes in the order. Then you have peace. 
peace with God, peace with yourself. You're not trying to impress God. You're not trying to get God to like you. You're not trying to perform. You have peace. And then only when you have that kind of peace can you really experience real joy. Joy, the joy of the Lord, that's your strength. That's when you're strong in the Lord and the power of his might because you've got, you know that you're righteous, not by your righteousness, not by your performance, and that gives you peace with God. And that peace translates into joy. And you have joy because you ain't worried about it no more. You're not trying to make or earn your way in. It's in the spirit. You know God's done it. Righteousness, peace, and joy. And it's in the Holy Spirit. It's all of God. And you rest in that. You don't labor for it no more. It's not by performance. It terrifies religious people to tell you that how great grace really is and how wonderful grace is and what Jesus accomplished for you and it's all been done. And in the law, preaching the law, they remind you of your sins. But when you're hearing grace preached, we we remind you of your righteousness. The law preaching tells you to they emphasize your obedience and what you do and you must do this and you got to do this and you better do this. And that's all law preaching. But the grace message reminds you of his obedience. And it's not based on our obedience, but it's his obedience. And when it comes to spiritual warfare, the only warfare you've got is to believe. The Bible said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, but they're mighty through God. And they pull down every stronghold. And they bring every thought captive into the obedience of who? See, of Christ. So what do you do to really have spiritual warfare? You don't need to go to no spiritual warfare conference. They're going to teach you to do this and do that and overcome and, and pull down principal. They ain't none of that real. It's busy work. Busy work. The only thing that spiritual warfare happens with grace Christians is that you bring every thought that that devil's bombarding you with. Say, listen, into the captivity of Jesus, the, his obedience. In other words, when the, Satan will come, listen to me. Now, this is how you know, and i got to end with this. This is how you know. This is how you know that you're walking in the revelation of righteousness is to the degree that you feel condemnation and guilt and you have lack of confidence. And I mean lack of confidence in praying for people for sick, for you to lay your hands on them and declare them healed in Jesus' name. See, the reason we don't do more of this is because we don't have no confidence. In other words, Satan, then he, when you start to pray for somebody or, or do, do these things, these supernatural, you know, on behalf of the Lord, as the Bible says that believers will do, these signs shall follow them to believe, we, we, then we are intimidated because Satan immediately begins to remind you of where you failed where you broke the rules, where you broke the law. And if that's going on in you, you have not yet come to the revelation that I'm righteous. Because when you become to the revelation that you're righteous in Christ, just as righteous as Jesus is, because there is no law for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter uh, 10, verse 4, Christ is the end of the law. To them that believe for righteousness. Christ is the end of the law. People are still shoving them ten commandments at you. And they're pointing at them and they're hollering at them. That ain't got nothing to do with you. He didn't even give the ten commandments to you. He gave them to the Jews. But that's the law. Does God not want us not to kill? Sure. Don't be stupid. I knew before I read the ten commandments that it's not good to murder people. 
I didn't need to read a rule to know not to do these things. How? Because I knew what I didn't want done to me. It's just life and living. I didn't need that. The Bible says the, com- the law is not made for the, for the righteous, but for the unrighteous and for the sinner and for the ungodly. Why? Because it calls them to a point of needing and shutting up bragging that they need a savior just like everybody else. And that they've all, like the rest of us, had fallen short of the glory of God. For we've all sinned and fallen short. And so they don't boast in anything other than in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, so what you have to realize is the Bible says Christ is the end of law. So listen, and then it says this, where there is no, no law, there is no transgression. What does that mean? If they don't have the speed limit posted, you can't get pulled over and given a speeding ticket. That's why they spend millions on signs. 35 mile an hour speed limit. Changes to 45. Then it changes to 50. Whatever it is. They have to have it posted and there has to be a law. And if there's no law, can't get pulled over and can't get no ticket. Now, if you are ignorant of that fact and you are driving on the road that don't have any speed limit signs like the Autobahn in Germany. Not that I've ever drove on it. But you can drive fast as you want to. On certain, there's certain spots you can't. But in most of it, you can drive fast as you want to. You can go 100 miles an hour if you want to. All right, now listen. If, if you're ignorant of that, a police could pull you over, tell you you're going to write you a ticket, and you could sit there and cow down and take it. But if you know that you have, as a child of God, inalienable rights, you are an heir. The Bible says in Galatians 4 that the, that the heir of the Hagar's child, that, that, that seed shall not be heir with Abraham. That's why we don't see the things in churches that are mixing the message and having this hybrid gospel. Paul told the Galatians, he said in chapter 1, you're, you, you, you know, somebody's come and preached another gospel to you that in fact is not a gospel at all. And he said, I say to you that if anybody, we or an angel from heaven, he didn't say an angel from hell. He said, if an angel from heaven comes and, or, or me myself and I preach to you any other gospel than that that I once and first delivered to you, let him be accursed. And then he went on in the next verse and saying, and yet I say again unto you that if anyone comes and preaches any other gospel than that that was delivered to you, I say again, let him be cursed. Why did Paul so strong on that? Because it waters down, dilutes, and destroys God's grace. And people began to charge for what was meant to be free. And you cannot earn the grace of God. Everything that we do, these healings that are happening, is the grace of God. The gifts of the Holy Spirit that operate, they're called gifts for a reason because you don't earn them and you don't unearn them. And I have finally, it's taken me all my life to step into the realization that when I come today, I come with confidence. And when I pray for you, I'm not praying from Dale's performance or Dale's righteousness or Dale's discipline. I'm not praying from none of that. I stand before you to represent my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I stand in his stead. I stand in his place and in his righteousness. I'm, I'm not him, but I'm in him. And see, and, and, and I used to, and see, if, if the devil 
begins to hit you. Listen to me. Listen. Satan, the only weapon that he has against you as a Christian is the law. He knows law better than any of us. And if you don't know that you're righteous, he will intimidate you and he will accuse you. The Bible says Satan in Revelation is called the accuser in Revelation 13 of the brethren, not the accuser of the sinner. No, no. He is the accuser of the brethren. What kind of brethren? The Bible said brethren who are unskilled, Galatians 4 again, in the revelation of righteousness. The Passion Translation, I've been reading some in it. It says that, that in verse 13 that those are the people that have not been pierced by the revelation of righteousness. The Bible says that there's a difference between these two worlds. For one is of milk and the other is of meat. Paul said that by this time you ought to be teachers, professors, teaching others, but now you still need to be taught yourself because you have not yet been pierced by righteousness. He said you don't even know that you're righteous before God. And, 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 and he said that, that, that really I came with meat, but I have to give you, you, your own milk. Let me tell you what milk is. Milk is food that somebody else has digested and give you. But meat is what you kill for yourself. Those that are of grace, the Bible said, it says that they are, they are acquainted. I, I, I just want to read it. I wasn't intending to read it, but I want to read this to you. Listen to the Passion translation of, uh, of this in, uh, I'm going to read this out of Hebrews 5. Uh, it says in verse 12, for you should already, this is Passion Translation, you should already be professors, instructing others by now, but instead you need to be taught from the beginning the basics of God's prophetic oracles. You're like children, still needing milk and not yet ready for, to, uh, for meat to digest solid food. For every spiritual infant lives on milk and is not yet pierced by the revelation, revelation of righteousness. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature. Listen, whose spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters and they have been adequately trained. That's what I'm trying to do here. Adequately trained by what they're experiencing to emerge with understanding of the difference between what is truly excellent and what is evil and harmful. That's why I called this title today, if we even got one, is Experiencing the Righteousness of God because you've got to experience that. The Bible says Galatians 4 in 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, have you not heard or seen the law? For what is written with, that Abraham had two sons, one of the bondwoman, one of the free. But he who was of the bondwoman was born of the flesh. But he who is of the free woman, through promise. These things are symbolic, for there are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, which gives bondage, birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem that he's talking about is above and is free, which is the mother of us all. Verse 28, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. It is now. You'll be persecuted for this message. He said, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. 
You are children of the free. You are free indeed. You are free from the curse. You are free from sickness. You are free from infirmity. You are free from addiction. You are free from bondage. You are free. And the only reason you're not, listen, and this is not a condemning thing. My God, no. But the only reason you're not experiencing that is because you don't yet believe it. You've not yet been sufficiently pierced by the revelation that now that you've been born again, that you are righteous before God. You are just as righteous, molecule for molecule, pound for pound, as Jesus is. In fact, God puts you in Christ. For if any man be in Christ, he is in that moment. Not will be one day if he tries hard. But he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things, how many things? All things have become new in Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus has accomplished. And you are children of grace. And listen, but the children of the bondwoman, the, that, that mixture, that law, Mount Sinai, will not be heir with the free woman. And we wonder why we haven't seen signs, wonders, and miracles, and healings, and, and the things that are, there, that is the song sung, that Jenny sung, Lord, you are my portion. What does that mean? That is your right. When you come here from another country and you stay and meet the requirements and you become a citizen, and you, you raise your hand and you take the oath and you become a, a, a citizen of the United States of America, irregardless of where you were born, you are now a U.S. citizen. You have all the rights and privileges of a person born on this dirt. Am I right? You have the, 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 the forefathers called it inalienable rights. You can't be alienated from these rights, those rights. You have a right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one shall be appointed for you. That's your right. There are, you have rights, many rights. As a U.S. citizen, you have rights. I'm not talking about this government and that. I'm talking about the citizen. It was said this morning, we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship, Paul said, is in heaven. My, my my passport is from heaven. Your citizenship is we are citizens of heaven. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So when you know that, you have rights. What is one of those rights? To walk in health. And when sickness does try to invade and contradict, you have a right to be healed. Why? Because of trying hard, praying hard, crying, telling God how bad off I am? Uh-uh. Because by his stripes you were, past tense, healed. When were I healed? When Jesus took the stripes on his back. And when you died, you, you, when, when Jesus was crucified, the promise said you was in Christ being crucified. Jesus not only died for you, hear me, he died as you. Jesus was buried not only as himself but as you. you were, the Bible said, Romans, that you were buried, you and I were buried with Christ. And the Bible said we were resurrected with him. Resurrected to what? The old life with a paint job? No, a new life in Christ Jesus. Whose life? His life. The life of Jesus. What kind of life is it? Eternal. Eternal. God will not revoke it because it's the gift of salvation. It is the gift of salvation. He will never take. You can't lose what you didn't earn. You can't listen. There's consequences for sin, and that's what the New Testament warns us about consequences. And it tells you don't do it, not because it will make you unsaved, but because it'll make your life miserable and it'll hurt you and hurt the one that God loves, and that's you. And it says don't do it. But the law 
Hagar, Ishmael, Mount Sinai, the woman caught in John 8 in adultery, thrown at his feet. They standing there with rocks, and the law said it was true. These guys were not lying. They're standing there with stones because in the law it said that if you were in, caught in adultery, you should be carried to the outskirts of the city and stoned to death. That is in the law. That is part of the law. Was it true? Absolutely. Were they lying? Not at all. Did they have a right to declare that? Yes, because that's the law. And they stood there. Jesus said, you want to stone this woman from a position that you're all right and she's all wrong. And he stooped on the ground and wrote with his finger. A lot of preachers imagine what he was writing and this and that, and they pretend he was writing on dirt. But the Bible says in verse 1 of that chapter of John 8 that he was standing in the temple. The temple don't have dirt floors, never did, never will. There's marble there, stone. Jesus was writing with his finger. I don't believe the floor was dirty where they could see what he was writing. I just believe that he was reminding those Jews. Remember the last time somebody took their finger and put it on stone? When the law was wrote, that was me. And how dare you stand in my presence to instruct me in matters of the law. For I took my finger through my father God and wrote the law on Mount Sinai. But that's true. But there is a greater truth in your midst right now. For I am the way and I am the truth and I'm the life. And so he superseded and went beyond the law into something that the church still can't grasp. It's called grace. And he said, ye who without sin cast ye the first stone. And beginning with the oldest and then to the youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away. And Jesus looked and, and there were none there. And he said to the woman whose face was bowed to the ground, expecting to be snatched out and called off and executed, as the law said. But he said, woman, where are thy condemners? She said, I have none, Lord. She looked around amazed. She said, I have none. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Notice the order. What came first? The church today says, go and sin no more and we won't condemn you. But grace says, there's never any condemnation. Now that you've re received the free gift of no punishment, no condemnation, daughter, go. Don't hurt yourself like this. Don't put yourself through this. Go and sin no more. You have the power. It's called no condemnation. It's called grace. That gives you the power to go and sin no more. Jesus blew the minds of the religious people, and it still aggravates them today that it's in, that it's in the Bible in the book of Luke. That you got two sons. One was faithful and stayed home and served daddy. The other one went and said, Daddy, you want, you're living too long. Give me my money. Took his money, spent it on wine, women, and song. Bible says riotous, prodigal living. Spent everything he had, living in the hog pen. God didn't do none of that to him. Living, eating, sharing husk with hogs. He, did, he didn't say, I miss daddy, I miss church, I miss reading the Bible. He just said, I can't live like this. He said, I remember that at my father's house, I had it better than this. He said, I'll go back home to be with daddy. And when I get there, I'm going to beg him to let me come. And I'm just going to tell him I'll be like the slaves and I'll sleep in the barn with them. And, and I won't even be his kid no more if he'll just let me have three squares in the bed. And he rehearsed the speech he would tell his dad. 
And the Bible said he comes home, and his dad was always looking for him from afar off. And his dad saw him, and he ran to him and fell upon his neck, it said, and kissed him. And then the boy said he's going to bust off into his speech, and the daddy shut him down, would not let him talk. Because if he lets, you can't buy grace. You can't earn it. This is not a paycheck. This is not wages. It's all free. He says, let's throw a party. Give him the best robe. Where'd the best robe come from? Daddy took his off, handed it to him. Took his ring off his finger, authority, a blank check, handed it, put it on his finger. He said, get some shoes. He's sitting here like a slave with no, no shoes on his feet. Put shoes, sandals on his feet. Put sandals on his feet. He said, kill the fatted calf. Let's throw a party about all my friends because this is my son that was dead, is now alive. Let, 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 this, is, this is what grace does. Now, great, now, somebody got this right or wrong. Jesus, the one told the story, it's a parable. He told it. Can you imagine the audacity of grace that you would have a son that rebelled, lived like hell, done the drugs, done the dope, done the women, done the everything, spent everything, ain't got nothing, ain't even got a roof over his head, ain't got no place to live, and smells like a hog. And that boy comes home and don't even say boo, and you throw him a party? And you just pour blessing on him and bless him and bless. That's grace on video. Now, either, either God got this right or we throw the party for the wrong son. That's why the other son got ticked off because he's Mr. Religious. He said, well, I, and he pouted. He, the Bible said he would not even come in to the party. So the father went out. I love that. Father went out and said, son, why don't you come on in? Come join the party. Y'all don't even know how, God knows how to party. He said, come on into the party. He said, I, I'm not coming to no party. He said, I've been faithful to you. I've served you. See there, serve, paycheck, reward, give it to me. I deserve it. I earned it. I earned my healing. I earned it. You ain't earned nothing by doing all your churchy stuff. You can't earn it. You're not an heir. Heirs mean you didn't get it by earning, you got it by birth. If you're an heir to the, to the estate, you didn't earn the estate, you just happened to be born in the right family. You're an heir. I'm a joint heir with Christ Jesus. I was born into the right family with the right papa, with the right elder brother. I'm not only an heir with him, I'm a joint heir. Everything Jesus get, I get. Everything Jesus has, I have. That's what it said. I know it's mind-blowing. I know it. It's hurting your head right now to hear it. It's mind-blowing. But when you believe this, it changes everything. God throwed a party for the right boy because that's what grace does. He didn't have to pay it back. He didn't, have to, he didn't, he didn't do none of that. He said, I'm glad you're home, son. He didn't sit there on the porch rock and say, I knew you'd drag your sorry butt back to the house. I told you before you left here what kind of hell is going to go. How's that feel to you? How do you like smelling like a hog? See, that's why your mom and dad talk to you. I hope not. Listen to me. Closing with this. Everybody in this room was raised on the merit system. You be good, we'll do good to you. You be bad, we, we'll do bad to you. You're going to learn to do right, and I'll beat it into you. Don't try to carry me where you don't even know where I'm at. But I'm telling you, this world system is not God's system, and it's not God's kingdom, and it's not grace. 
Everybody in this room was raised and cut our teeth, and we have lived, and our employers treat us this way, and that's all we've ever known is the, the merit system. You do right, or if you don't, we'll give you some demerits. That means they take some of your merits back. You didn't perform up to standard. You didn't do us right. You, you, you're going to be punished for this. But this blows people's mind, and it makes religious people mad as hell. But what Romans 8.1 literally says when it says there's no condemnation. The word condemnation is the Greek word that also is interpreted punishment. I did a blog years ago that says, what if we are unpunishable? My God, did it rile up some of them. Because this is what I said, and I say it boldly. Not arrogantly, but boldly. You are unpunishable anymore once you're in Christ Jesus. There is no more punishment for you, no matter what you do. Why? Because Christ suffered the punishment for sin. I did not say there's no consequences for you because in this natural realm, you do wrong, there's consequences. But don't ever get your wires crossed on who's behind what. I've told you a story a thousand times. Quick, if you rob the bank, they're going to lock you up. But don't go and build you a testimony that Jesus locked you up to save you. No, your dumbness got you locked up. You made a very poor decision, and you broke laws of the land, and you suffer in the consequences. You do the crime, you do the time. Don't come up with your little religious testimony that somehow God was, God ain't behind none of that. That was your dumbness manifested. And you suffered for it. Now, you might have hollered, ouch, and oi, enough that you finally realized, I need help. And you might have turned to God. But God didn't need to break no legs. He's not the Godfather. He's Father God. He don't do none of that kind of stuff. He loves you. Now, all God's ever tried to do is point to the cross and say, look how much I love you. Come on home, son. And if you believe you're free, then you are free. Now, what happens with some people is I declare to you by faith and by the word of God that your addiction is broken. All right, you leave out of here. Three weeks, four weeks, three months. I pray God never. But let's just say, because I've been doing this a while. Let's say six, eight weeks, all of a sudden you go through some real pain, trauma, stuff don't go your way. You get hit with this, you get hit with that, and all of a sudden you go to back what's most familiar to you. You turn back to that drug. You turn back to the meth. You turn back to that. Then Satan's right there, and he's going to accuse you. And if you listen to him and you put your faith in his words and you believe him, then you'll fold the tent, collapse like a $2 suitcase, and that's the end of your walk with God because you actually believe him. Satan, more than you do God. You believe in somebody. The whole thing in the garden is be careful who comes to your tree and talks to you, who you listen to. That's the whole message of that. But if you believe what the Bible says and what I've preached, okay, I blew it, I screwed up royally. But you know what? I'm still the righteous of God. That ain't changed one iota. Even when I was doing the meth, I'm righteous. Why? By performance? No, by birth. And I have to just shake myself to come to that reality. I'm still the righteous of God in Christ, and all my sins have been forgiven. And I stand before God righteous. And so instead of confessing my sins and wallowing in my sins and trying to do all this mess that don't work no how, then I confess my righteousness, and I get up out of that mess, and I walk on with God. The Bible says a righteous man shall fall seven times, but he gets back up. See, if you don't know you're righteous, when you fall, you won't get back up. The only people that get back up and keep going is people that, are, that have been pierced by the righteousness 
said, you know what? You a lying devil. I'm acting like the law still exists and you're accusing me with it. See, if listen, if Satan's accusing you, he's got law that he's doing it with. That means you are not living in grace. If you remove the law, there's no transgression. If there's no transgression, listen, Satan's got nothing to say to you. That's why he don't bother me. Not, really, not with that mess. He don't bother me with that. He don't bother me with that at all. Why? Because he ain't got no law. He starts hollering law breaking at me. I ain't listening to none of it. <laughs> Man, you such a liar. Ain't no law. How are you accusing me? You ain't finna write me no ticket. Ain't no speed limit here. It's all grace, dude. I can ride fast as I want to. I can go five or 55 or 105. You can't do nothing about it. I'm his kid. Get thee behind me, devil. Let's go on for God. Let's get up and shake myself. I'm not that guy. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I don't want, what was I doing acting crazy a minute? I, I was being a hypocrite. I was living not true to who I am. Who I am is a new creation in Christ. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. I'm the son of the most high. Well, live like it then. Quit being a hypocrite. Quit going back into the old things. That ain't you no more. Well, my God, well, your flesh might try to lean you that way for a little bit until you break that flesh habit. I mean, I'm not knocking you. I had a lady I was in their, in their house uh, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, no, Friday, whenever. She started talking to me, talking about being a Christian, and she was sitting there smoking. She said, most people don't think I'm a Christian because I'm smoking cigarettes. And I could tell a woman, you know, her, I mean, I don't, I, and I looked at that woman and I shocked her. She was sitting there just blowing smoke at me, you know. I'm there doing her Medicare. She said, I don't even go to church because she said, the people say, I'm not even Christian because she says, uh, she said, I'm really, I'm a Baptist. I said, so is my wife. I have to tell her about you. I don't know what all that means with people, but I just said, yeah. And, and so she said, she said, I know, you know, God can heal. And, and she was sitting there smoking. She said, people don't even think I'm Christian, so I don't even, I don't even fool, I don't even, I don't go to church. And she said, Lord knows my heart. I said, smoking them cigarettes ain't got one thing to do with your Christianity. She just stopped holding that cigarette. Just made, looked at me. She said, I never had nobody ever tell me that. I said, it may have something to do with your health. But it ain't got nothing to do with your Christianity. I said, I'm not encouraging, discouraging. I'm saying that ain't got nothing to do with you and Jesus. I said, you need to stop listening to all that. You know what she said right out of that? <laughs> she said, you want a piece of pie? I'm telling you God's truth. She said, uh, what you know what that thing I told you she gave me? What? Chocolate delight. My wife made She said, I got a chocolate delight pie. She said, I said, my wife makes some chocolate delights. That stuff off the chain. And she said, would, would you want a piece? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she went and got it and set it down in front of me and got me a bottle of water. And I eat fast because I was a paramedic for 20 years. So we learned you eat fast because you might not get a meal for a while. And I still never been able to break a habit of eating fast. I still eat fast. I'll be through and everybody's still just getting started, you know. I guess all them years as a paramedic, we learned because when you leave out, leave it, leave it on the table and you got to jump my ambulance. Because most of the time you done paid for it too. So it's like doggone. I eat that pie. Her husband said, he said, you need to bring him another piece. And I said, no, man, I'm going to go home in a minute and have to, you know, eat supper. And I 
I appreciate it. But just, see, people need to know that all this religious mess. Well, I'm going to go home in a minute and have to, you know, eat supper. And I, I appreciate it. But just, see, people need to know that all this religious mess. And there she is sitting at home because she don't think that she's accepted. She may not be by religious people. But I told her about us. Of course, they live in, in, in Greenville, Florida. But hey, I got a lot of Florida people here, right, Mike? <laughs> I love you. You are a child of Abraham. You are of the seed of promise. You are children of grace. You are not birthed from Mount Sinai with Ishmael and Hagar, the bondwoman, but you are of the free. You are those who reside from Mount Zion. You are the children of God. You are his beloved. You are his prize. The apple, he says, of my eye. God didn't begin loving you after you were born again, but while you were yet sinners, Christ loved you. His love has not increased, I promise you, neither has it ever decreased. You cannot do anything to make God love you more. You can't do anything to make him love you. Listen to this. Last thing and I'm done, promise. Old Testament law, man would bring an, a sheep a pre, to the priest for his sins. That man would have been instructed to bring a sheep that he had had watched carefully. Before that man, he just didn't walk out in the pasture and grab a first sheep he'd come to and drag him down to the priest. No, no. The Bible instructed him under the law that that man would take that sheep and he would put it in, a, in a, an enclosure in a pen and that man would make sure that that was the best sheep that he had. And then on the appointed day, he would come to the old tabernacle, the tabernacle of Moses. He would bring that sheep and he would offer it to the priest for an offer, the sin offering for his sin. And you know the story, most of you, how he would, he would lay his hands on that innocent sheep. And that was twofold symbolic. Number one, this animal, this innocent animal. But before that priest would allow that man to do laying his hands on him. The priest, multiple priests would surround that sheep and they would examine him. There were seven examinations that they would make to that sheep. I promise you not one time did the priest ever look to the worshiper, to the one who offered the sheep. They never examined him. They didn't ask him if he committed sin. They didn't talk to him. They didn't look at him because it has nothing to do with the offerer. It's got to do with the lamb. And they would look at that lamb and they would examine the lamb thoroughly. And then once they had concluded, these multiple priests, that this sheep here, this lamb, is without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, then the priest would simply look with a smile at the man, the offerer, the worshiper, the sinner. And he would look at him and he would nod and say, Now, go ahead. And that man with great expectancy would lift his hands out and lay it on the head of that innocent lamb. And it was twofold in the fact that all the innocence and the purity and those priests said, we find no fault with this animal. It is acceptable sacrifice to God, Yahweh. That innocence and that purity would thereby be transferred symbolically into the man. And it would be displacing his sin with righteousness. And then they would also, the sin of the man would be gone in to that animal. 
And now the priest would take the animal from his hand and they would slit his throat and it would gurgle in his blood as it strangled and it died and they would split its open and they would burn it on the offering. And the offering would go up before God as a sweet-smelling sacrifice in his nostrils. Not because God likes sheep being sacrificed or the smell of animals or animals being hurt or wounded, but it was simply a, a typology and it was a, it was a demonstration of what would come. But there would be a day that man, he would walk away that day and go back to his home and he was free with guilt and sin. For one year, he was free. He didn't have to bring another one. He, he was, that blood was, was accepted. You're good for a year. All the sins you ain't even done yet, you're good, bro. We'll see you next year because we're going to have to remember sin because it's not possible for this animal to really take away your sin, but it, your sin has been covered, atoned for is the word. Jesus didn't atone for nobody's sin. You hear New Testament preachers talking about he atoned. There ain't no atonement. It's not in the New Testament. The Bible said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin. Not sins, plural. Not your actions. Not, no, the sin, that thing, that entity, that, that force. The sin of the word Jesus is the Lamb that took it away. That, that, that's why their sin is not your issue, not your problem. And that's not got nothing to do with you no more. That don't mean you're forgiven. That, but you, you don't enjoy it until you accept it. But you're forgiven. God's forgiven you. I tell you, I tell you this all the time. God don't need your permission to forgive you. He's already forgiven you. Can you imagine the, the power of that illustration that they don't examine the man that brought the sheep but the sheep? Can I tell you that when Jesus went and they, that's why all that court stuff and you read all that in the Bible, Jesus was examined seven times. He was examined by the Jews. We find no fault. He was examined by the Sanhedrin court. Liars lied him. We find no fault. He was examined by Pilate. I find no fault. Send him to Herod. He was examined by Herod. I find no fault. Send him back to Pilate. He goes back to Pilate. Pilate's wife comes, said, I had a dream. Don't touch this man. I find no fault. This is an innocent man. They crucified him anyway. The Roman centurion who thrust his sword in, said, for surely this man was the son of God. I find no fault. And the last is the thief who by his side heard the other thief railing against him and accusing Jesus. And he said, you're just like us. And that thief looked at the other thief and said, shut up, be quiet, for we are receiving the just desserts of our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. I find no fault in this man. And he simply threw his faith in that man. No baptism, no bow your head, no sinner's prayer, no use of the word sin. He just simply said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And through blood cake lips, Jesus looked at him and said this day, this very day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And when after that happened, Jesus with a loud voice cried, It is finished! 
And the Bible said, he bowed his own head, gave up his spirit, went to the Father. And there he went into the real tabernacle that mosaic tabernacles and the temple was all symbolics of. And he went to the real mercy seat and he offered his own blood and sprinkled it as an appeasing sacrifice for the sin of the world. And on the third day, the father vindicated that he truly was and truly is and truly always shall be the lamb that took away the sin of the world, the righteousness of God. And he rose from the dead. And that is the message that we have, that this is, sets us apart from any religion in the world. We have the message of grace. Come. It is free. There is nothing you can do. It is the grace of God. Do you receive it? Do you receive it? Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for setting us free. Let every addict know that whom the Son sets free, they're free indeed. They're really, really free. No matter what they see, smell, feel. I had a man in my church one time when I pastored Cornerstone. He was such a cocaine addict. He had been in all kind of trouble. I didn't know all that. He told me his story when he got there and got saved. He lived his life. He was with me for 10 years. He quit a job that was real stable, took a job that was not as stable. The money didn't come in like he needed it. He was over, overwhelmed with debt, and he, he was hurting. He was confused, and he turned back to cocaine. The devil convinced him that he wasn't free at all, although he had been free for 10 years. I got a call one day, and it was him. He said, Pastor, can you meet me at the church? I got to have some help. I said, I will. I sat in my office with him and across from my desk, and he said, I just come from my house where I had a 12-gauge shotgun pressed right here under my throat. And he said, it was just a miracle that I didn't push on the trigger. It was loaded, one in the chamber, and I meant to push down on it and be done with this hell. I began to talk to him. He said, I don't even know if there is a God, and I don't honestly believe I really even believe in God. How'd you like to start a meeting out like that? But I began to talk to him, and I couldn't convince him so much with words in that moment. I just loved him. He went on, left his wife, went to other states, lived like hell, believed the lies of the enemy. He told me, he told me I ain't free, you know, because I was burning pecan leaves the other day, and it smelled like cocaine burning or something. He told me something. No, 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 what it was was he said I was working at a place part-time, and I was burning an arc welder. And I was welding something, and it, and it hit my nostrils, smelled like cocaine, you know, crack. And he said, that proves I ain't free. I said, I don't prove nothing. I said, I was burning pecan leaves the other day, and I was standing out there by the fire, and that smelled like marijuana. But I didn't go buy me a bag. Don't prove nothing. That's the enemy trying to lie to you, man. Who are you going to believe, God or him? Long story short, this man called me from way out west and said, Brother Dale, I want to come home to my wife. Law's looking for me. I know when I get home, I got to go to jail. Wrote bad checks, get these drugs. They're looking for me. Warrants are out for me. 
He said, would you wire me the money to come home? I said, I will. He said, I'm not going to wire you a lot now. I'm going to wire you enough to get that motorcycle and get it back to Cook County. He said, well, Pastor, I want to I want to spend one night in a hotel in a, in a surrounding county with my wife before I come back in to Cook because I know they're going to take me straight to jail. I said, well, you do that. You be with her, but you come on home now and get your life back. Let's, let's, let's get this thing going. Get back with your family. He said, I'll do it. He said, on the way home, riding that motorcycle in the rain, he said it quit on him. And he was sitting inside the interstate. And he said, in that moment, he told me these words. He said, I cried out. He said, God, I'm trying my best to come home. I'm trying my best to get my life back on track here. I'm, he said, I got to have some help. Now, here's a guy praying to somebody. He said a few weeks ago, he didn't even know he existed. And he said, God, if you, God, he said, I tried to crank this thing for 30 minutes. But if you, God, and you're up there and you, you see me side this road and I'm just trying to get home. He said, make this thing crank. And he said, he kicked it one more time and fired up. He said, thank you, God. He come on home. I went to the jail. I sat across from him in the glass room and picked up the phone and talked to him. I've seen what the enemy would do and break and destroy and hurt people's lives. If you believe his lives and you go that route, but you don't have to, that's not for you. you that, that's not got anything to do with you. God don't want you there. God loves that man. That man's doing great today. And he's with his wife and his kids has grown. He's got grandbabies now. You know, I, listen, God don't throw you in no pig pen. You know what we do? We build him ourselves. Don't build yourself a pig pen. Just stay with Papa. Can I say that to you? Just stay with him. I, I'm going to dismiss you. Y'all ain't mad at me for going past 12, are you? This is a special season we in here. I'm not trying to be the first church at the Frigidaire and trying to give you a poem and stuff. and get You, I, I, you know, I, I've tried to be that guy. I, I want to ride with God here and what he's doing. And I just want to declare his truth to you. And I thank you for being patient. 1248, we'll live. You know, I can even remember years since we've done this. But if y'all cool with it, I'm cool with it. I get paid the same if I quit at 12 or go 1248. You know, you know what I'm saying. I love you. And I don't feel that. I probably shouldn't even mention that. A lot of y'all kind of get on to me about don't talk about that. But just my weakness in that. I don't I want you to, I don't want to ever take advantage of you. I want God to be God in your life and for every son and daughter you've got, grandchild that's addicted to whatever they're addicted to, I declare them free in Jesus' name. I break the powers of the bondage of the enemy and the lies in their mind to keep them from believing in, upon Jesus as their Savior. I pray that God will do whatever as he reaches his love out to them. I pray that you'll invite them, that you'll reach out to them, and that we can see them come and be set free and delivered. It don't have to happen in this house, but, man, it's happening and in this house. It surely is. And we've heard testimony to that today. Amen. Now, I'm going to be up here. My elders are all right up here around. And Andy's back there, different ones. We're, we're here. So if they see more people come than I can deal with, now they'll come help me. Won't y'all? <laughs> they will. Pastor Johan is right here on the front row. And so what I'm saying is I'm going to dismiss the church. I love you guys with all my heart. Man, invite somebody. Let's just keep the momentum going. Invite somebody. Reach out to them. Even if they're in another state, tell them to watch, listen to the podcast, hear the testimonies of what the Lord's doing. It's phenomenal what God's up to, and I, I, I'm so, I don't take it for granted. I'm so grateful for it. But we're, we're here to pray with you. 
Hey, if you believed on Jesus today as your Savior, come tell us about it. If you got healed today and you know you were, come tell me about it. I need it just like you do. I need encouragement. And I want to hear what God's doing in your life. So please always tell me. When we prophesy to your ministry, I, I just have a word of truth. you got the story. Tell me what God was doing in your life at that moment, what's happening and what God's doing so we can share. You don't never, I won't ever stick you up here if you don't want to be up here. I promise you. I won't ever put you on the spot. I always ask permission beforehand, you know. But I, I love you and appreciate you. So we're, we're here. I'm here to pray with you. I dismiss you in Jesus' name. Uh, if you want prayer, please come meet me up front. If not, go enjoy this beautiful 72-degree day out there. Amen.